And I will, thanks for that, Jim. I will tell you, there's a lot of scripture in what we're going to go through today. And, and so I want to also encourage you in an area, and if you need to know how, uh, one of our elders in the church, uh, Carl Ritzke, if you'd wave your hand, um, if you want to learn how to keep notes in church, he can tell you how. But I want to encourage you, take notes, because when you take notes, there's, there's different ways we learn. We learn by listening. We learn by, uh, what's that? Seeing. Listening, seeing. But there's also the one where you have to touch. And you learn by touching. But the more that you do to interact with the word that's being brought, whether it be keeping notes, uh, practicing what you hear, those type of things, you'll grow, you'll learn. So I encourage you, um, as I was putting this together today, I thought, you know, I, I want to encourage you in that. Um, it's okay to take notes. I know sometimes it's hard to keep up, um, but, uh, but it's important to keep notes. Today, Encountering His Presence. We're going to continue on this theme. We've got a couple more weeks of this series, and then we're going to move into the next series, uh, which is exciting. But this week, we're going to look at what are the speed bumps on the road to encountering His presence? What are some of the things that get in our way? For, for me, one of the speed bumps to getting to the Super Bowl was a team called the New England Patriots, and it kept us from getting there. But that's just a football game, right? Don't tell me that during football season, but, but right now it's just a football game. But this is life and death, but not just any old life or any old death. This is eternal life. This is eternal death. And entering into his presence is key, is critical to your walk with him and your development and growth. Now, in Scripture, in John, you'll see it talks about a new birth. And, and this new birth is salvation. And, and you've heard a lot about salvation over the last uh, several weeks, I'm sure, but also even before that. But in John, it talks about a new birth, which is awesome. It's you, when you were living an old life, you, you, you are birthed into this new life. When you are saved, you're birthed into this new life. But a speed bump or an, an issue with that would be is to be new birth and no growth. So being a Christian, an active Christian, living out your life as a Christian ought to or as a believer that's active in their faith, uh, you don't want to be one that has new birth but new growth. It is, it, it's a, um, it is what keeps church irrelevant. It, it, it's what causes a community to keep from understanding God's presence. I talked about that just a little bit ago, about how, how in this community this, this has been claimed. This property belongs to Christ. But for them to understand that, they need to encounter His presence. But if Christians are new birth and no growth, they'll never get an opportunity to truly encounter His presence. The goal of New Testament salvation is the joy of living a transformed life now. In the presence of God and being fitted, being prepared for this eternal life that will live in glory. You do know that if you're saved and you know it, say amen. You're going to spend eternity where? In heaven, right? With him, in his presence. You'll, today we see him dimly, but one day we'll see him clearly face to face, right? We look forward to that day, but you're being prepared for that day now. It's not I check the box and I have my ticket and that day I will be with him. 
that might be true, but here, here's what I really want to encourage you in, is that your life is not one that, and, and, I, and I've preached on this a lot, and I, it's so important that I don't want to not preach on it a little more, and that is our life is not one just to uh, live like it was before salvation, just with a ticket that says, I'm going to heaven. It's kind of like uh, uh, getting your driver's license. When I was um, 15, there was a man in our church. He's now with the Lord. And uh, Bob Dawson taught a class here. We used to have a Christian school here. This used to be all offices over here. And we would go and take driver's education with him. And I got like 100% in the class. It was awesome. I, I was like his A student, right? And he always used to brag to me, oh, you did so good. And, of course, I got a big head over it. My sister said, yes, absolutely, he did. But so I passed the class. I got my permit. But was I a driver? No, but, but I knew how to drive because I was a teenager. I knew everything. But then, then I went and took uh, my driver's test. That was actually a pretty cool day in my life because uh, it's a cool day for most people when they get their license. But what had happened in my life is my parents had left town and left me in the care of my grandfather and grandmother, who happened to live next door here at the church. But when they left town, they left the car home. Right? So that's pretty exciting. But if you knew my grandfather, that didn't necessarily mean I was going to have a whole ton of freedom. And so they left town. I went down. Grandpa drove me down. I, I took my driver's test. I passed. So I had a license. So I was an official licensed driver. But because I hadn't really driven on my own yet, I wasn't really a good driver. In fact, I wasn't really a driver. I was just a licensed one. Right? <laughs> I don't know about that. I uh, just, just, just having a license alone doesn't make you good at whatever that license is for. And I was, to finish the story, it was nice because that evening I, uh, my grandpa, being all wise as he was, realized that I really didn't want to just sit around the house with this driver's license in my pocket. Hey, why don't you just go out and drive around town tonight, Doug? Okay. I'd love to do that. And so I did. And that's when I started to become a driver. It's when I got behind the wheel and started living life as a driver. And the more I did it, the better at it I got. And yeah, to what I heard earlier, there's times that I watch people drive and I'm thinking, have they ever driven before? But where are you at if you take that story and compare it to your Christian walk? Are you a Christian with a license but yet haven't figured out how to live their life as a Christian? God didn't call us to just have the license. He called us to actually go out and influence and be the church, be Christians, and do as he called us to do. And, yes, we've heard the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we need to. And you don't have to use words when you do it if you're really good at being a Christian because they'll see it in the way that you live.
Colossians 1.27 says this, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. He wanted them to know that it was available for all. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Now, I know I've spent a lot of time on on that topic alone and, and talking about not just carrying around our license, but actually participating in the walk. And new birth, no growth, is a stumbling block to encountering his presence. Another stumbling block into encountering his presence is this word that, that actually, when it's said in a church setting, sometimes causes those unchurched to not want to be a part of it. But the truth of the matter is, it exists in all of us, whether you're unchurched or churched. And it's what can also set us apart from encountering his presence, it can be a stumbling block on that road, and that is the word sin. Sin is a stumbling block in our lives that causes us to not be able to encounter his presence to the degree that he wants us to. A lack of understanding about salvation, yes, is an issue. But a major obstacle into encountering his presence is sin. Bold and basic, ugly sin. Ephesians 4.20. I'm going to read through Ephesians through verse 30, and I want you to listen carefully. This is, so this is not the pastor saying, stop sinning. I'm reading God's word, and it's saying, do not sin. Let me read Ephesians 4 verse 20 says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off all your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we we are all parts the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down. While you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. And we got to see that today. Don't use foul and abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Then Ephesians 4.30. In, in the context of what Paul is writing here about warning us about sin, he tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit, and it says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as, as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. He's guaranteed that you will be saved when he comes to take us home. But do not sin. Because when you sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit. I, I've said I love how Billy Graham says that it's God's job to judge, and it's, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and it's our job as Christians to love. But that, that convicting that goes on when the Holy Spirit starts to convict is, is really 
a broken heart, I believe, on the part of the Holy Spirit. It's when, when you know you've let him down. When you've let the Holy Spirit down, you know it's because I've done something that was not of God and it separated me from him. It grieved the Holy Spirit. And if we're busy grieving the Holy Spirit, is there a chance we're going to encounter his presence? It's not possible to be active in sin and active in encountering his presence. Now, can in the midst of this acting out in sin, can he, can he penetrate that darkness and his light shine in that? Yes, but then immediately darkness flees and his light fills that area. His presence and darkness of sin cannot coexist in the same space and time. So when sin is active in our life, guess what's not? His presence. What's a stumbling block in encountering his presence? Sin. Man, it's a hard message to preach. But why do we preach it? We preach it because we want you all to be able to encounter his presence to a degree that your lives are changed so incredibly much that the world can't help but to embrace you and the message that you have for them that he came to give us life and a life more abundant. You know, churches sometimes get a bad rap because churches are known to be a place potentially that we're told not to do this and not to do that and to do this. And what I'm going to tell you today is this. I'm going to tell you to do. To do all that you can do to encounter His presence. And if you will pursue everything in your being goes after pursuing His presence, there will be no room in your life for sin. It's, it'll be a beautiful life. That it, it won't be comprehensible, hensible, comprehensible. You won't be able to understand it because you, and I've seen it over and over again, a, a life where from the outside looking in, this person should be miserable, but when you actually get to know the person, they're at complete peace. There's happiness and there's joy when there shouldn't be. Well, some would say, well, if God was really God, and he truly loved us, then they wouldn't be struggling. I'm telling you, they're not struggling. You might perceive them as struggling because you wouldn't want to be in their position, but the fact of the matter is they're not struggling because they're in his presence. Don't you want to be that person that regardless of what's going on around you, you're not struggling, you're always happy, it's as if you've won the lottery and then some? Don't you want to be that person? Well, to be that person, you have to be willing to... Do all you can do to encounter his presence. Avoid these stumbling blocks. For the sake of time, the third one, a third hindrance to experiencing God's presence is this word. This used to be a popular word that would be used in church potentially when I was younger. And I used to hear it a lot, and I haven't heard it a lot lately. But it's a word, and it's apathy. What's apathy? Well, who, you, who uses a Webster's? Do you know what Webster's Dictionary is? See, those things don't really exist anymore because there's a thing called Google. And because there's a thing called Google, Webster's is kind of, I don't even know if it still is being printed. I don't know. Is it? Okay, yes, it is. So for you Googleites, there's something out there called Webster. And it was around a lot longer than Google ever was. But anyhow, this is what Google said apathy is. 
Because when you're in a hurry, I don't know where the Webster's is at. <laughs> so here's what, what, here's what Google said. Apathy. It's a lack of interest or enthusiasm or concern. Lack of interest, lack of enthusiasm, lack of concern. It's a potential roadblock to encountering his presence would be a lack of interest, lack of enthusiasm, or lack of concern. I... I don't know about you, but something has shifted in our atmosphere as a church. Every Sunday morning, and, and I realize some are prepping for Super Bowl today, but, but every Sunday morning that we've been coming since the first of the year, worship has been tremendous, and, and we can plug in and we can tangibly feel His presence here. His presence has always been here, but what has changed is there's no more lack of enthusiasm. We, we come expecting we come with anticipation. Now, what apathy is, is apathy is that thing where, yeah, we've been doing it for weeks after week after week after week, and we're just going to show up again without anticipation, without expectation. Every week, come together as we come together for corporate worship, expecting and anticipating. His presence is here, but expecting and anticipating, we're going to plug into it. And as we all, in agreement, plug into that, we'll start to grow. Worship is going to go to a level, and I firmly believe this, here at New Testament Church, and then it's going to spill out in the streets. That's bigger than we've ever encountered before. What will happen is we'll get to a place in time that, that we'll, wow, I kind of remember feeling this way before. But that's, that's not a plateau we're to stay at. We're going to get to a place that maybe you've been here for a while or you've gone to other places where you've seen awesome worship. We're going to get to that place, but we're not to stop there. We're to expect and anticipate that there's even another level and another level and another level. There was a word that was shared with me that said, Pastor, one day you're going to to go into his presence and come out of his presence. You're going to go into his presence and come out of his presence, but one day you're going to go into his presence and you won't come out again. And what that really, that word was, was this is that eventually you will lose your identity in his presence. Church, that's, as that word comes to me, that word comes to you. There's going to be a day as a church we're going to lose our identity as a church in his presence. We might be called New Testament church because of a locale, but we're not going to be known as New Testament church. We're going to be known as a church that you got to go try that place out. It is awesome because his presence is so real. Lose your identity in his presence. How do we do that? We have to avoid becoming apathetic. This happens because we become indifferent, though, to God. There's some of us that have encountered some awesome things. Who has seen miracles, physically firsthand miracles before? Now, how long has it been? (laughs) Has it been a long time? Because after a while, you start to grow accustomed. Oh, yeah, I've seen it, done it. But if you've never seen a miracle, you want to see it again and again and again and again. Why do we grow apathetic? Why do we get to the place where we become indifferent? Well, it's, it's evil. There is a battle over what goes on here. The enemy doesn't want you so excited, so full of expectation and, t- and anticipation. Because if he can keep us asleep then we become church irrelevant. Yeah, we, we can be indifferent to God and still be saved. But when we get caught up in the busyness of life and become inattentive to his voice and his ways, we slip into apathy. Luke 8.14 says, The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those 
who hear the message. So today you're hearing the message. Where is it going to fall? But the, the message that falls amongst the thorns are like the seeds that fall along, uh, amongst the thorns, but those seeds all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. That is the biggest battle that faces every single church in America, the United States of America today. Because the seeds are being planted right as we speak right now all across this nation. And the seeds are falling upon the soil. And those seeds are meant to grow and bring maturity and life to a lost and hurting world. But in Luke, it says the message gets crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. It, 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 it starts sometimes in the church at 10.45 when you're saying, where am I going for lunch today? Or did I remember to marinate the meat for the barbecue for the Super Bowl? Or did I get enough wings? Or, boy, that was a long line at Costco yesterday. Or when you start wondering, your thoughts start getting off what the message really is, you may walk out the door and never actually grow in maturity because of the things that are comfortable in life. There, it, it says uh, in this book I was reading, it talks about, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. It talks about these men, though, that didn't want to forget about who they were prior to salvation, so they would wear uh, uh, clothing that would scratch their skin all day long just, just so they wouldn't forget that they were a lowly, sinful person. I don't want you to go out today and wear horse clothing or whatever it is that would scratch your skin, but I don't want you to forget who you are in Christ and what he did for you. He came to give you life and life more abundant, and the abundant life that the world wants to offer will sometimes distract you from the abundant life that he wants to give you. Because they do have an abundance for us. It will fade away. Moth and rust will destroy it. But it is abundant right now. But we're not called for the right now alone. We're eternal beings that got to keep our eye on the fact that we're going to live an eternal life. And what we do in the now has everything to do with the eternity, not about what the now is alone. Sometimes we do get so nearsighted that I just want to make sure that I'm comfortable in this moment. But I want you to know that you have an eternal life. And this moment and that moment in eternity should be one in the same. I can live a heaven life now and a heaven life then, but I must choose whose presence I want to live in. Don't grow distracted by the, by the riches of this world. Don't grow distracted by the comforts of this life. That does not mean walk around with your head down and say, I'm just going to be uncomfortable for Christ. Woe is me. It, I'm going to get up every morning and stub my toe just so I remember who God is in my life. No, don't do that. Be joyful in him. Uh, let me skip. Skip ahead. Fourth, another stumbling block. This is a big one. And this is where we'll, we'll close today is on this point. New birth, no growth. 
What was the second one? This is why you keep notes. Oh, yeah, the high cost of sin. Don't let sin be a stumbling block. Thirdly, apathy. Fourth, this one's not a fruit of the Spirit, but it's evident in many lives, and it's called anxiety. This is the one that breaks my heart over and over and over again. It causes me to be angry and frustrated because it's so prevalent today in life. When all our waking thoughts are about how dangerous the world is and how to protect ourselves, we're tempted to respond as if this life and this world are all there is. We forget that we're sons and daughters of the King of Kings and that our citizenship is in, heavenly, in a heavenly city. Worry can cancel out God's work in our lives. It generates an obsession with ourselves, our protection and our safety, our future and our well-being. Worry destroys faith, and faith is how we experience God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 says that, it, 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 and it is impossible. Say impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anxiety and faith don't live together. Anyone, in, in, again, in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, anyone who wants to come to him must believe, say believe, that God exists and that he rewards, say rewards, those who sincerely seek him. That is a true participation award. If you will just participate in seeking him, he will reward you. Let me tell you what that looks like. When I was... Uh, 12 years old, thereabouts, 10, 11, 12, in that age range, I can remember I'd go to bed at night, and all of a sudden, this sense of fear would come over me in my room. It's as if there was something evil right there. In the darkness of my room, I could almost feel it, and it would cause me to be, I didn't want to move. I I don't know if you've ever been uh, frozen by fear, but I can remember laying in bed not wanting to move. Because I was so scared of something in my presence. Now, did I open my eyes and see an evil spirit? No. I didn't have to. I just felt it. Now, some would say, yeah, I, I don't know how or why. I don't know why it got to that place other than it was real. Yes, I, I grew up in a Christian home. And I know that there was constant prayer in our home. But I also know that fear was very real. But it, it came as almost a test. There was scriptures that would come to mind, and, and a lot of times, and, and sometimes we miss this today, but back in the 80s, we would sing a lot of scripture, 70s and 80s. A lot of our songs that we'd sing on Sunday were scriptures. And so those songs would come to my mind, and I would start singing these scriptures in my head. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this when it comes to worry. Give all your worries and cares to God for why He cares about you. Say, God cares about me. Now say it like you mean it. God cares about me. And 
And when you feel that fear and when you feel the worry of whatever it might be in life, remind yourself and remind the enemy, God cares about me. God cares about me. I am highly favored. Don't you just want to say, enemy, step off. God cares about me. I'm highly favored. I used to be a little cocky on the basketball court. I'm not at all anymore. Don't even ask. But my wife and I would, back then we were probably dating, but I would say, hey, get off my court. If you don't want to play my game, get off my court, right? But I can't talk like that anymore because I, I, I don't know if I can even make a basket. I won't even play my son because he'll probably beat me. But in Christ, when the enemy wants to fight me or put me down or put you down or cause you to worry, cause you to have anxiety, guess what? Step off. Because he cares for me. I am highly favored. You have the ability to speak life into dark places. Speak light into dark places. Colossians 3.2 says this, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. When, when our thoughts start to worry or, or cause us to focus on worries or concerns or anxieties in life, focus your thoughts on the things of the Lord and, and ask the Lord, Lord, help me to focus my thoughts. Here's the verses that I would recall as a child when I was frozen in bed in fear. Philippians in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So I'm not going to worry about that fear that's out there. I'm going to start praying about it. What am I going to pray about? Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's a note. If you've ever struggled with worry or anxiety, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Another passage that I would meditate on is, is 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Repeating these verses over and over again and singing the songs over and over again, before long I'd find myself sound asleep, no longer in fear, but in a peaceful sleep. Now, corporate worship is another antidote to anxiety. If you struggle with an anxiety, don't skip church. Corporate worship and fellowship with other believers can be a wonderful antidote. And that's the thing is the world wants to give us antidotes. But this can be a wonderful antidote. Corporate worship focuses our hearts on eternal truths. Wasn't worship awesome today? And celebrates the realities of We get to celebrate the reality of God's kingdom. It's not a fairy tale. You know, when we hear kingdom, we think fairy tales, especially if you've gone to Disneyland, right? But his kingdom is not a fairy tale. Yes, the Ritzkies are going to Disneyland. But it's not a, his kingdom is not fairy tale land. His kingdom is real. Being with other believers offers us a reminder of our true identity in Christ. This helps bring the peace of God into our hearts and pushes back our fears. I was in my office this morning uh, reading through my message, and I could hear, uh, there wasn't anybody here, and uh, Glenn's always here, so Glenn, you count. So Glenn was here, and 
but that was it. And then before long, I could hear another voice come in, and then another voice. And before long, I could hear laughter. And, and it was community. It was family. It was people coming together and supporting one another in a joyful way, doing life together. It was beautiful to hear. That's what corporate worship is really all about. We come together and we celebrate the realities of heaven together and the joys of heaven together. We stand with each other in the midst of fear or anxiety or hurt or pain, and we lift each other up and say, yes, we are. I'm not just going to tell you I'm praying for you. I am actually going to pray for you and agree that he came to give us life and life more abundant. So I've talked a lot about the problems. The reason for that is when we identify and understand the things that are keeping us from encountering his presence, then we can begin to prevent that from happening in our lives. We can seek the Lord to help give us strength. There's many times that I'll struggle with something, and and I know what I need to do, but I know everything in me is apprehensive to actually man up and do it. And so, God, give give me the manpower. Give me the strength and the passion to follow through to do what I know I ought to do. And he does. He is faithful in that way. So what is the solution? It centers on three words. These three words are highly important to remember. Christ in me. Whatever the stumbling blocks are in encountering his presence, remember that Christ in me is my new reality. Think about this amazing truth. There's nothing more intimate, more close and real than that. Yes, there's, there's handshakes, and those are good, but hugs are better, right? Now, some of you be careful with that. But, but when you're close, it's intimate. God wants to be not just hug close. He wants to be in you. Hebrews 12.2 says this, tell us that Jesus is seated at the, he tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, yet Jesus is not bound by space or time. If we are believers, Jesus Christ is present and active right now in teaching each of us, or right now in each of our lives, because of the Holy Spirit. John 17.20 describes the depth of our intimacy with him. My prayer is not for them alone, Jesus says. Listen to this scripture. He says, this is Jesus praying. My prayer, Jesus' prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Jesus, or Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that You have sent me. How will the world believe that he was sent for them? It's because that he is in his father and his father is in him and we are in them. It's an intimacy with Jesus. Colossians. This is his heart. He wants them to know. In Colossians 1, 27, it says, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too, so for all the world. And this is the secret. I read this earlier, that Christ lives in 
you. It's that Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Do you believe it? Last paragraph of notes. Hear it clearly. Paul was writing under the inspiration when he wrote Colossians of the Holy Spirit. It does not say that the glory of the mystery of salvation is heaven. He says the glory and the mystery of salvation, rather, is Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. Think about the word glory for a moment. Glory is splendor. It's brightness and amazing might. What is glorious? Think about what is glorious. There's nothing passive about glory. Glory isn't something that would just pass you by and you would miss it. We were driving down uh, Road 98 in the town yesterday, and I saw these, uh, this car parked alongside the road, and I thought, well, they're just taking pictures out in the field. And then I looked beyond them, and there was a glorious rainbow. You don't generally drive by a rainbow without having to take pause and see how glorious it truly is. That's glory. Glory is splendor, brightness, and amazing might. There's nothing passive about it. The verse says that we are in union with one with Christ. That's, now, to be in union is, is location language. It's saying you are in, not at 108 West Woodland, you are in Christ. He becomes our new address. When we believe, do you believe? Do you believe? No longer am I Doug Zach, who lives in Woodland, California, but I am Doug Zach, who lives in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. I have a new and permanent address. Knowing our new address is important because salvation is not just positional or static or unmoving or once only an experience. Salvation is ongoing, transformational, and continual. Instead of telling people who begin their Christian journey, your sins are forgiven, end of subject. No, when I received my license, that didn't just give me a license, and then I went about my life as if I never was going to drive. No, I actually became a driver. We can think of our salvation as four part, as a four-part harmony. Justification, identity, location, and intimacy. See, this is why you have to take notes. Justification means our sins are forgiven and our past is done away with. Identity means we were born again. We're new creations. Locations means we're in Christ, which means full engagement with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And intimacy means full fellowship with God. Worship team, if you'd come. We're going to close in worship this morning, and I want you to consider... Oh, we didn't take offering? Maybe we'll do that today. So if the worship team would come. That's interesting. Things of earth will grow strangely dim. Yes. In the light of your wonder and grace, your glory. Church... I want to encourage you that the things that you've been stumbling around with in life that have prevented you from entering into his presence, from encountering his presence, you're not to leave here today feeling 
as if you failed because you stumbled. You're to be encouraged that you're with friends and family that are here to walk this walk with you, to pick you up when you stumble, because we will stumble too, and we will hope you're there to pick us up. But if you've been dealing with a sin issue that you just have not been able to shake free, you can lay it at the altar. You, you, can, you can, we call them accountability partners. You can create accountability with one another that, that when you're struggling with that sin, you can reach out to that person and they will help you. That's what family's all about. That's what these life groups are all about. Have you, are you in a place that if you saw another miracle today, it would be like, oh yeah, I've seen that before. Because you've grown a little bit apathetic in your faith. You no longer are anticipating or expecting something awesome to happen. It's just kind of the same old, same old. I go to church every Sunday morning. Maybe you've been saved and you're not growing. Join a life group. Get involved in some of the things that are going on outside of Sunday morning only. Then lastly, and, and maybe for you it's the most important thing you're dealing with. Anxiety is not a fruit of the Spirit. wants to take all your cares that's why he says cast all your cares which means that for me to cast my cares I have to take my cares and I need to throw them away from myself and cast them at him and he'll receive my cares and then he will not leave me alone without my anxiety that I've grown so comfortable with he will then care for me but you need to take that act that says, I'm going to cast, throw away from me, get away from me all the cares, all the worries, all the anxieties that I have of this world. This is what's got such a strong grip on too many for too long, to the point, and I've preached this, oh, this is not the first time I've preached this, but what happens is our anxiety becomes our identity. But our identity is in Christ. And when we start to live out a life as such, then we can tell the enemy, step off because he cares for me. And I'm not going to worry about that any longer. In fact, I won't even see what's going on around me because I have my eyes fixed on the Lord, a loving Father that will embrace me when I need to be embraced, that will, that will cover me with gift after gift after gift as I need to receive what will bring tremendous amount of comfort in time of struggle. Will people know that you're a Christian because of the way that you live a life anxiety-free? That's a gospel message that they all need to know, that they all need to hear and understand. Encountering his presence.